ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Fantasy Law Guy podcast. I'm Nick Carrisco at Fantasy Law Guy, fantasylawguy.com. Quarterbacks, sleepers, kickers, defenses. Let's dominate the late rounds. I Greetings, everyone. This is part three of the Draft Guide Podcast Marathon, explaining my draft board and strategy guide, which you can find on fantasylawguide.com. I am covering today how I'm approaching the entire quarterback position and also a very popular topic here, what everyone wants to hear, sleepers. I'm not tired. I'll give my favorite sleepers at each position, running back, receiver, tight end, even some quarterbacks, some late round strategy. We'll be talking how to approach the late round of your drafts, including kickers and defenses, my favorite targets from those positions. We're covering all the bases here, but first up, we have some bad news. The injury diagnosis for running back Travis Etienne has come back, and, it, and it's not good. Etienne is out for the season. In the last episode, I discussed why I was out on ETN even prior to the injury and why he wasn't anywhere near my draft board. And if you followed the fantasy law guide, you really weren't affected at all by this injury because he just wasn't on the draft board. You were in no position to get him. And to be brutally honest, I think that this injury actually bails out managers who were planning to draft him because for reasons stated at length in my previous episode, I strongly believe ETN was going to be a bust. I just thought it was very likely he's going to be a change of pace back in a three-way running back by committee on a bad Jacksonville offense. There's really no indications otherwise uh, that we've had all offseason. In fact, there was really just confirmation all offseason that that was going to be the case. I don't know why he was being drafted that high. He's been being severely overdrafted, one of the most overdrafted players in all of fantasy football. If you want my full explanation on ETN and why I think fading this entire offense is probably the sharp move, you can check out the intro to the previous episode of the Fantasy Law Guy podcast, but nevertheless, we must adjust, and this news obviously bumps up James Robinson, last year's waiver wire gym, who was really, really good with a dumpster fire of a team last season. He was a top 10 running back in fantasy football and contextualized game log scoring and points per game, uh, despite a horrendous supporting cast, and the Jaguars last year just a lot of that was based on unprecedented usage for an undrafted free agent, which James Robinson was. The Jags simply refused to give any other running backs touches last year. There were games where Robinson was getting 90 plus percent of the touch of the running back touches in that game, which is totally insane. It's Christian McCaffrey usage and some more. I've moved Robinson up the board. Actually, I've moved him to the draft board, to the top 75, because he wasn't there before for the same reasons ETN really wasn't there before. But I liked Robinson more than ETN. But I think that he's going to be the pass catching back 
Uh, and he's going to mix in with Carlos Hyde. But it's important to remember this is a bad team. It's important to remember that, you know, I absolutely buy that Carlos Hyde is going to see way more touches than fantasy managers want. I mentioned that in the previous episode. This is likely going to be some form of committee. Uh, but I think that the Jaguars will be conservative enough. And there's just not, I don't know, the, the reason I'm not going higher on James Robinson, I moved him up to, I think, 50 fifth overall where you can get him in round five or six. I've seen some mock drafts where he's going a lot higher than that. I don't know if I necessarily want drafters on who are reading my guide to be in position to be reaching for James Robinson. Just I, I just don't know if I'm totally buying in only because not that I don't like Robinson. It's just because I don't think the coaching staff is totally buying in. I mean, the first two things that Urban Meyer did as it pertains to the running back position for the Jaguars is sign Carlos Hyde as former player and then draft ETN in round the first round of the draft when there were so many other needs and more important needs that the Jaguars had than a change of pace third down running back uh, here. And, then they, and after they drafted ETN, all Urban Meyer could say was, oh, well, we're going to have a three-way running back by committee and, you know, Carlos Hyde and James Robinson are going to split carries. Well, that is really unfortunate that they view the situation that way. Um, but the point is, obviously, they felt like, they needed an upgrade at running back this offseason. So I'm just not going all in on Allen Robinson. But, you know, right now, 55th overall, round five and six. But that is subject to change depending on how the market kind of reacts to James Robinson. And if we just hear beat reporters saying like, oh, Robinson's definitely going to be the guy, then, you know, everything's fluid. That is subject to change. I also think this news gives a slight bump to LaVisca Chenault, the wide receiver there. He's a wide receiver, but he plays like a running back. He could line up in the backfield more. He did kind of last year. And he could, could he play the ETN role? Possibly. I'm not really sure. Uh, he's kind of a short area possession target, uh, a run-after-catch specialist who may have several targets near the line of scrimmage each game. We kind of saw that in week two of the preseason, actually. It's kind of a check down option. I don't think – I think Marvin Jones and DH Shark will probably be the first read on a lot of plays. But, you know – with the Jaguars trailing often, and especially in garbage time, when when Trevor Lawrence, the rookie quarterback, may dump it off underneath to take the safe play, Chenault really, really good after the catch. I really like his talent, uh, but I think he's a little kind of capped as his upside as a receiver. I don't think they're going to be using him or with a diversified route tree. It's mainly going to be stuff gadget stuff close to the line of scrimmage. But I think the Travis Etienne news does free up a few more touches for Chenault, and that kind of makes him a nice sleeper. He finished the season strongly, Chenault did, but I do think his ceiling, again, is capped with Marvin Jones, DJ Chark, rookie quarterback. I think he's going to have a bunch of seven-catch, 50-yard games, which, hey, PPR, that's 12 points, so that's pretty valuable. I've added him to the fantasy log guy. I've added him to the late-round uh, targets, receiver sleepers, to be exact. Uh, so we, I won't bore you with going over his analysis later on in this episode where we cover receiver sleepers. In other news, Daryl Henderson, he practiced, he sprained his thumb, he practiced in a walkthrough fashion. He hurt his thumb a few days ago, but it looks like he's going to be ready for the start of the season. Uh, no reason to panic, and that's even, but it is worth noting that the Rams did trade for Patriots running back Sony Michelle. They sent two late draft picks to get Michelle. I don't think that this necessarily means that Henderson is going to miss time. 
I think they probably need camp bodies. I think they finally realized that, you know, Henderson does get hurt a lot. They initially opened when after Cam Akers got hurt. Sean McVay said, oh, we're not going to bring anyone in immediately. But we do have to, you know, we like Daryl Henderson a lot. We're going to give him, you know, everything he can handle. But at the same time, we're going to limit him to keep him healthy because of his past injury history. Well, he's already hurt with the sprained thumb. So, yeah, I think that this is more of, I don't know, just insurance, extra body in there. I don't think Sony Michelle is going to overtake or be the starting running back for Daryl Henderson. And if I had to bet, I think Henderson's going to be ready for week one, despite this trade. So no reason to freak out over here. Uh, but let's talk about the implications of the trade, though. Uh, Sony Michelle, he was having a reportedly really good, healthy offseason, which is rare for him because he's never healthy. And the Patriots were kind of showcasing him in the preseason games. He actually caught like seven passes in the two preseason games so far, which doesn't sound like much, but it, that may as well be his career high mark right there, probably seven catches. So this is it's good to see, though, because he's kind of a zero in the pass game prior to this season. Uh, Michelle was so good in college at UGA before just right when he was drafted. I mean, even that offseason as a rookie, he started needing surgeries on stuff, just totally injury play career, and it really slowed him down. He's been a plotter for much of the last two seasons, but I remember loving him coming out of, of UGA a few years ago. Uh, he's just, you know, he just can't stay healthy, but we can see his ability when he actually is 100%, but he's probably, he's probably worse for wear over all these injuries. They probably added some wear and tear to the body for sure. Regardless of the situation, though, regardless of the offseason fluff for Michelle, the trade definitely has implications. I mean, first from the Rams side, it definitely dings Daryl Henderson. Like, I still like Henderson, but I think I, I think Henderson's really good. I think he's underrated talent. He's explosive when he's healthy. He's, he's efficient. He catches passes, and he's going to be in a good offense. But I am dropping him to round four or five for my initial uh, eight ranking of 30th overall. I was above market on Henderson. Now I think I'm probably below, although we'll see how the market reacts to this trade. Uh, my initial reaction was moving him from 30th overall to 44th overall on my board. Maybe he'll slide a little lower than there. I kind of have him in that range with, with, with Josh Jacobs and actually now in that same tier as James Robinson, maybe maybe in the early 50s, actually. I'm not, I'm not really sure. That's not solidified yet. Things are still fluid as I see how you know, some quotes on the team, how they plan on using them, et cetera, et cetera. But I think that his ADP is going to slide. And assuming it does, I'm definitely not opposed to drafting Henderson. I just think it has to be at the right spot, especially in PPR leagues. I'm not opposed to drafting him simply because of this trait. Uh, it does hurt because Michelle will definitely mix in on early downs. And my particular concern is who's getting the goal line carries. Like, is he going to be like Malcolm Brown was last year and just come in on short yardage and goal line and take some early down work? You know, I, I lean towards Michelle kind of do, playing that role, seeing as, you know, the Rams may have wanted more of a stronger complement, stronger between the tackles runner, as opposed to Henderson's speedy kind of elusiveness style. And it kind of jives with McVay's comments that they needed someone to keep Henderson healthy, which I think is the ultimate goal. Again, I do think Henderson's going to remain the starting running back here and lead the team in touches. So for Michelle, I think a late-round flyer is appropriate. I don't see him starting 
as long as Henderson is healthy, but you never know. I mean, Henderson's pretty, been pretty injury-prone too, so has Michelle. He presents more of a value in non-PPR formats, Michelle does. And I'm not rushing to add him in leagues that have already drafted, but yes, yeah, certainly after picks like 100, you know, I'm not going to really blink an eye if somebody takes him as his late round running back in their drafts, like after pick 100, maybe 120 uh, in, a, in a PPR league. So for the Pats side, for the Patriots, this is obviously a win for Damian Harris, which is great because I explained in my previous episode why I'm higher on Harris than the market and why I think he's a great mid-round running back that you should be targeting in drafts. And I have been targeting in the drafts. I already have uh, quite a bit of exposure to Damian Harris. So this does help me personally, but that y'all don't care about that. I, think, I don't think Bill Belichick executes this trade. If he doesn't think Harris can manage a greater workload, I also don't think he executes this deal if he didn't think Ramondre Stevenson couldn't fill the Michelle role. And what role was that going to be? I don't know. They're probably going to be some form of a committee. I'm sure Michelle was going to get probably five, six touches a game. Stevenson, probably way better than Tony Michelle, even as a rookie. He's a guy I've been thinking about placing in the late round dart throw portion of the fantasy law guide for a while now. Uh, but now this solidifies that I certainly will. And in fact, I already have. If it's the last few rounds of your drafts, particularly deep leagues, you could do way worse than, than taking a flyer on Stevenson. He's reminding a lot of folks in New England of LeGarrette Blunt. He's a big-bodied rookie who's taken around four of the draft. The off-season reports have been nothing short of glowing. All off-season, even dating back to the spring and OTAs, he's flat-out dominating the backups in preseason. So... This is a trade. This is a nice bump up for him. It definitely puts him on the fantasy redraft radar in normal size leagues. I've picked him up in one league already, but not in all my leagues. I think that he's already, he was drafted in some of my leagues. So uh, to me, it's somebody just like Sony Michelle, anywhere after pick 100, you know, he's fair game. You're just, you're just throwing darts at that point. And, but you have to keep in mind that Stevenson is just a stash. He's, he's no different than like the running backs I talked about in my past episode, where you're stashing them and hopefully they win the starting job or hoping for some kind of injury or whatever happens. Similar to like a, a, a poor man's AJ Dillon or something to that nature, but same kind of out. You're picking them and you're just stashing them on their bench for, I don't know, eight weeks and just seeing if something comes of it. And if it does, it could be have a big impact on your team. In other news, Teddy Bridgewater. Last year, starting quarterback for the Carolina Panthers, he wins the quarterback competition in Denver against Drew Locke. I don't think it really is much of a fantasy impact, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. We're still going to consider quarterback and play a negative for Denver pass catchers, regardless of whether Drew Locke or Bridgewater is the starter. It's also a strong possibility that both quarterbacks make starts this season. I think the Broncos are just trying to play it safe, limit the turnovers, because they have a really, really good team otherwise, and Drew Locke is just kind of erratic. So um, other news, Saints tight ends, Adam Troutman, Nick Vanette, they both avoided serious injury. I mentioned uh, Juwan Johnson as a nice lottery ticket to kind of keep an eye on at the end of drafts, maybe in, in free agency in leagues that have drafted. He'll get some reps in the coming weeks. He's a receiver convert, and you, I like what Sean Payton has done with move tight ends in the past. It's something to monitor, keep monitoring the beat there, and I will, like the team beat writers, what they're saying in practice, and I'll monitor that for you if you're not interested in doing that. But for now, the injuries to the top tight ends for the Saints are not very serious, so we can probably be patient here. Uh, Juwan Johnson's probably should only be really rostered um, in very deep formats or maybe tight, tight end premium formats or whatever that case. So this is a big one right here. The Lions are apparently concerned about DeAndre Swift's availability for week one. 
if you're following the draft guide, you aren't in position to draft DeAndre Swift anyway, or you weren't, I should say. Now I've moved DeAndre Swift even further down than I had him to make sure that we stay way below market on DeAndre Swift. And by doing that, I went to the extreme. I took him totally off my draft board. That means he is not in my top 75. That means you should be avoiding DeAndre Swift really at all costs. Look, I love DeAndre Swift. I think he's an amazing uh, I don't want to say amazing. I think he's a really, really good talent, very underrated talent. And I think he, I love that he can catch for PPR leagues. I think he's just a smooth mover. He can really mismatch on the linebackers. Definitely better than Jamal Williams, the starting running back in Detroit. But the quote was pretty ominous. We just don't, not only was it, he, we don't know his availability for week one. We also, they were saying, even when he comes back, he may be limited. So this looks like a pretty, uh, bad situation, a situation to avoid. DeAndre Swift was already being severely overdrafted anyway, in my personal opinion, as reflected by the guide. And now uh, I want, really want no part of him. Now, I, really, he should be nowhere near round four, five, six. And that's why he's not in my top 75 anymore. If positive news comes back, we are always subject to change. But if you're drafting right now, I certainly would not be targeting DeAndre Swift. In a corresponding move, I added Jamal Williams to the running back sleeper section. And I'll talk about uh, why in the show, but essentially... Swiss health concerns, if he's going to miss time or be limited, Williams would be the back in Detroit. He gets goal line carries. He catches passes. Coaches like him. He's not very good, but coaches love him. They brought him in immediately and free agency, and they called him the 1A back. That's saying that he doesn't, really didn't have to come off the field. That's one reason I was very low on DeAndre Swift because I'm buying those remarks. I'm keeping consistent on my narrative here. I think that the Anthony Lynn, the former running backs coach, is is – is being honest when he says that Jamal Williams was his 1A back and Swift was his B back. So so now this makes Williams a lot more valuable. I definitely think he's one of the top running back sleepers this year, despite his upside being a little limited because I don't think he's a great talent and he is for the Detroit Lions. But hey, he's the lead back right now as long as Swift's hurt. So yeah, I think he's worth a flyer as a starting running back that you're able to get like after round 10. Sounds like great value to me. So yeah, moved him to the running back sleeper section. Other moves to the draft board. Before we get started with the quarterbacks here, I moved Jamar Chase down based on an Instagram story that was brought to my attention where the mother of his child allegedly accused him of, uh, of hitting her. Uh, she's, or at least implied that uh, she is pregnant. I don't know if it's true. I don't know much at all. I'm not going to make any definitive statements, but it is, I thought it was worth noting. And I definitely don't want to be taking any chances in the mid rounds. So I did drop him down a notch, just even based on that story, Insta story alone. This is the 21st century. And, but the main reason I dropped him is you know, it's it coupled with the fact that he's having a tough camp. He's dropping a lot of passes. Just the reports aren't really glowing for Jamar Chase right now. I think that Chase is going to get it together, provided, of course, he avoids any type of suspension or anything crazy happens like that. But I think that Chase is going to get it together, and he'll probably have a much stronger second half of the season than first half. But the main reason I moved him down is because there's just so many other good receiver options right in that area. So, like, why would I want to take the chance there if something happens? And besides, he's a rookie anyway. I And I also think Justin Jefferson's amazing rookie season may be over, maybe kind of be causing people to overrate 
uh, Jamar Chase. I think he's a great talent when he puts it all together, but it may not be in year one. Certainly may not be in the first half of the year, but we'll see. It only took Justin Jefferson two games to be getting out of a receiver rotation before he became a bona fide star. So I don't know. I could be dead wrong on this, but right now I have Chris Godwin, Robert Woods, Tyler Lockett late in round four. Uh, and I have De- Deontay Johnson, Brandon Ayuk, T. Higgins, Cooper Cup, Chase Claypool, Adam Thielen as round five targets, uh, along with Jamar Chase as well. Oh, no, sorry. I moved Jamar Chase right below that. Early in round six is where I have him, along with that tier with Kenny Galladay, DJ Moore, and Jerry Judy. If you're surprised at any of those rankings, I explained in depth why I have those players ranked the way I do on my previous mid-round episode. And in this episode, I'll discuss how I'm approaching the quarterback position, late round sleepers. Let's get after it. One takeaway that I had after I finished recording my previous episode was that I didn't like really how high I had some early quarterbacks. And I spoke about in part one of the draft marathon series about how I think getting Strong production from the quarterback position is very important in fantasy football. And it's kind of underplayed. It's kind of underrated, actually, by the experts. They don't really talk about it because they're constantly driving home the notion of drafting quarterbacks late. But that's not the same thing as saying that quarterback production doesn't matter. And I don't want drafters or listeners or readers of my draft guide thinking that. Getting high point totals at quarterback certainly matters. Like it's extremely important. It's a concept that I really, really want to drive home that I really want you to take away from this series. If you go back and you look at your league history, I think you will be surprised. And I would bet that you come away thinking, wow, you know, most of these teams that made the playoffs in my fantasy league in the last couple of years had good quarterback play, good fantasy quarterback play that season. Like last year, for example, teams with Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, Aaron Rodgers, those teams like routinely made the playoffs, like high percentage of playoff teams with exposure to those quarterbacks. And it makes sense from a simplistic standpoint, right? Like quarterbacks score the most points. I know that's a very simple way of looking at it, but on a week-to-week basis, like when your quarterback throws for five touchdowns, four touchdowns, or has three touchdowns and two rushing touchdowns, like you have a much greater chance of winning your matchup regardless of what your other positions really do. It puts you at a big advantage if your quarterback has a huge day. But the reasons that drafting quarterbacks early, you know, that quarterbacks are not as sharp as early picks is because of supply and demand, right? Plenty of fantasy managers in your league can get strong quarterback production later in drafts or in free agency. Like, look how much Jalen Hurts helped managers win championships last year. And that's important to understand if you do take a quarterback early. But the point is, I don't really want to undersell the importance of having good quarterback play, but I do think, you know, I may have had my quarterbacks ranked a little too high on the board as a result, my elite quarterbacks, so I've moved them all down collectively as a position, and I think, I'm, I think ultimately I'm open to an early round quarterback. That is not like to say round one or two, unless it's like a super flex, but when I say early quarterback, I mean like round four. Like I'm open to that, unlike a lot of experts are, where they're trying to say, oh, you can just get good quarterback play later. That may be true, but I just think the importance of having strong quarterback play, regardless of how you get it, is so key. And these guys have, like the Pat Mahomes, the Josh Allen, the Kyler Murrays, they have a certain amount of safety and league-winning upside. Like Josh Allen last year, uh, like Pat Mahomes the year prior, 
uh, actually 2018 when he set the league on fire. And Kyler Murray last year, first nine weeks of the season, he was putting up Lamar Jackson pace, which was the greatest quarterback fantasy season of all time in 2019, Jackson was. And Kyler Murray was putting up those numbers on pace before he injured his shoulder in week nine. So those guys do have a safe floor with the rushing production, with Pat Mahomes' ability, with Kyler Murray's rushing production, and Josh Allen. And they also have league-winning upside, as we've seen. So I don't really mind taking them in round four of a home league, even though experts would probably advise against that. And maybe that's just me, but but if but I'm just saying that, you know, I'm trying to make my board reflect reality. Like what my board is re- meant to reflect what I'd actually do in fantasy drafts myself personally. And I'm putting my money where, where my mouth is. And I personally think that if I saw Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen or possibly even Kyler Murray in round four, just sitting there available, I would have a hard time passing on them unless somebody else that I really, really liked on the board was there or unless, depending on the makeup of my team. But just saying they would definitely be in consideration for my team. So I also moved quarterbacks down though, uh, just slightly, just collectively as a position, because it's more in line with my strategy at the position, like when I'm going into drafts thinking, like that doesn't mean I'm not going to adjust. If I see Mahomes there in round four, which he's probably not going to be if you're in a home league, but if he is, I'm willing to adjust and take that. I mean, he's so fun to watch on Sundays. You're getting a potential league MVP, but if that doesn't happen, going into my drafts, I have a different strategy, and that's usually to kind of wait on quarterback. Let the league, let see what the league, see what your league, what your draft room is doing at the quarterback position, and just kind of call audibles and just kind of adjust from that perspective. So every league's different, and you kind of have to balance out where your league's taking quarterbacks and just kind of adapt on the fly. And that's something that you're going to have to look at my draft board. And if quarterbacks aren't accurately slotted based on your league, you can make that call. You can adapt. So, but to me, you know, I think that the concept of waiting on quarterback and then taking like a Trey Lance or Justin Fields as your quarterback two, or maybe even one and pairing them is something that's really attractive to me because you can load up on other positions and you can even take um, a flyer on a, a onesie position like tight end. You can get an elite tight end. So there also presents the opportunity that you can get like a Tom Brady or an Aaron Rodgers like much, much later in drafts if you don't take like a, a Mahomes or a Josh Allen early. And the opportunity cost between like a fourth round pick on quarterback and a seventh rounder, you know, that's a, that's a really big deal. But yeah, I think the sweet spot for elite quarterbacks is probably around round four. I think you can have Lamar Jackson if he's available. He's really tempting of an option, as I talked about in my last episode, in round five or six. And I also think that there's just a tier of quarterbacks that I'll get to momentarily that you can kind of just – I have them all grouped in the same tier. You can kind of see who falls, and then you can take one of those, or you can just even wait and take like a Jalen Hurts and Trey Lance and back-to-back rounds like eight and nine. Like – and if it's a sharper league and you see Kyler Murray, who's having you know a goat season through nine weeks, just sitting there in round five, like go ahead and take him. And then you can take Trey Lance late anyway, or Justin Fields late anyway. But yeah, quarterbacks, I mean, that's kind of the balance there. Very league dependent. You have to watch your draft board and make adjustments. So let's get into player specifics here. Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, that's kind of my next tier. They are quarterbacks five and six. 
And I see them, you know, that's, again, that's league dependent. It's tough to say where to take them, but anywhere around 7 through 10 is probably the sweet spot for Brady, Aaron Rodgers. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, obviously, I don't need to speak much about him. League MVP last year, he averaged 23.71 points per game in 18 games, uh, including the two playoff games. That's QB5 pace. And that's including Marquez Valdez-Scantling dropping two deep balls. Uh, But I will say that deep ball touchdowns, I will say, he had a career high 9.1 touchdown rate. That is due to regress, as is 80% of his trips, of his red zone trips ending in a touchdown. His offensive line got a little worse. My biggest issue with Aaron Rodgers is that he really dominated a lot of defenses that were kind of shorthanded, like Minnesota twice, Detroit twice, the AFC South whole division, uh, the Niners and the Eagles. But 45 touchdowns, five interceptions. I mean, the guy just crushed it last year, except for like two games. Aaron Rodgers, you know, really, really safe floor there. And if you can stack him with somebody like Devontae Adams, I mean, that's just really fun uh, from a week-to-week basis. Tom Brady, you can also get Brady with like a Mike Evans stack. Brady is somebody who I think he finished around quarterback eight, quarterback nine. I'm not really sure exactly. I was kind of off on Brady last year, which was a mistake. But Brady, 21.02 points per game in 20 games last year, including the four playoff games. That was only QB 12 pace on contextualized game log scoring, but he got so much better as the season progressed. In his last seven games, 23.74 points per game. That's QB 5 pace as a as opposed to the QB 12 pace for the season, 21 touchdowns, four interceptions in those last seven games, including playoffs. And that's despite 12 drops by pass catchers in the postseason. A lot of them from Chris Godwin, uh, others from running backs, but he also rested in a half versus Detroit. Evans dropped a touchdown in that span. He was all Evan. Mike Evans was also tackled on the one in that span and six yard lines in week 15. He also played through a partially torn MCL. As we've learned since then, he has a great offensive line. Bruce Arians quarterbacks tend to struggle earlier in year one, and they always play better in year two. So there's a lot to like about Tom Brady. Obviously the supporting cast is awesome with all his wide receivers and Gio Bernard is pass catching back wrong because it's tight end. I mean, it's just a very safe uh, QB selection despite the non rush floor. I think everybody's, all the fancy experts are making a big deal. Oh, you got to get quarterbacks who rush or who run the ball. Of course, that provides a nice floor, but Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, you know, two Hall of Fame quarterbacks still look like they're playing like they're in their prime, even though they are, you know, on the wrong side of 30 or even 40 in some situations. But but here, this is just a scenario where Brady and Rodgers do provide, I think, the ceiling and the floor. That combination you can get way later in rounds because everybody's attacking the the rushing quarterbacks. Like there are leagues, even though Brady and Rodgers are household names, there are leagues where you have guys like Dak Prescott going ahead of them. You have guys like Russ Wilson ahead of them. Um, of course, all of the four quarterbacks I mentioned above in the elite tiers, obviously are going ahead as they should, but even some, you know, Jalen Hurts, uh, people are taking Jalen Hurts over Brady just because of the rushing upside there, which I'm not going to say if it's right or wrong. All these quarterbacks are kind of grouped in the same, pretty much the same spot to me. But I do think the combination of Brady and Rodgers floor to ceiling combo, and you can get them like three, four rounds later than uh, Lamar Jackson, Pat Mahomes, Josh Allen, Kyler Murray. I mean, that's that's pretty nice right there. It, I mean, you're going to be plugging Brady and Rodgers in your lineup all year and just not taking them out. And you're probably not going to be thinking, oh, I wish Brady ran for 10 touchdowns. I mean, he'll get a couple of QB sneaks, but I mean, come on. I mean, these guys are awesome. So I do think they're getting a little underplay. They are my quarterbacks four and five. Or sorry, five and six, I should say. Dak Prescott's my quarterback seven. Look, I'm a little lower than consensus on Dak Prescott. I view him right in this tier. It's not like I don't like him. 
He's obviously got an amazing supporting cast with those receivers, Michael Gallup, CeeDee Lamb, Amari Cooper. Uh, his offensive line is coming back healthy. Uh, the thing with Dak is that I'm, I am projecting a big year for Ezekiel Elliott on the ground, and I think Dak Prescott may be a little less willing coming off the broken uh, leg to run the ball. And I think if you take away some of that rushing, especially in the red zone, I don't know, maybe I'm too low here. But to me, it seems like a pretty serious injury. I'd like to see that he was 100% before I'm ranking him ahead of market. I'm probably not going to end up with Dak Prescott on many of my teams this year because ranking him at quarterback seven, even though I feel like it's appropriate behind Brady and Rodgers, who are such staples, Dak's awesome at fantasy too. I mean, he's a top 12 quarterback like every year. And last year, he actually was 27 points a game in five, in five games. That was actually QB one pace. So I mean, even more points than Patrick Mahomes per games last year. But I don't know. There's just, I'm just a little hesitant with Dak coming off the injury. I think that his numbers were a little skewed last year because he, they were playing so many games from behind. A lot of his production last year in the limited sample of five games was coming when the Cowboys were trailing by like multiple scores in the second half. And it was just, you know, a print fest of total garbage time. And again, I think Zeke's going to take a load there. I think the rushing's going to decline. But yeah, I, sure, Dak's going to have a big year. I mean, I'm not anti-Dak. I mean, if Dak falls into draft, I have nothing against taking him. Just a little below market just because of the injury. I want to say that I'm above market on Justin Herbert. I have him at QB8, and that's where his ADP is. However, it seems like Justin Herbert, just in my personal anecdotal experience, is falling, falling lower, sliding a low, lower than that QB8 uh, ADP that I just mentioned. I like Justin Herbert a lot, but I do acknowledge that he is more of a boom or bust play. Like he was sensational as a rookie last year. And, and it's crazy to think that he only got the starting job because the doctor punctured Tyrod Ty, uh, Taylor's lungs uh, before a game. So they just threw Justin Herbert out in the fire unexpected, but he kind of saved the Chargers offensive season uh, because it was dust with Tarod Taylor in week one. He saved Keenan Allen's season, that's for sure, and arguably Austin Eckler's as well. But this Chargers offense is ascending. One thing I really, really like about Austin Eckler, one reason I'm ranking Austin Eckler as my fourth overall player and I'm higher on than any expert that, that I've seen on Austin Eckler is because of these massive offensive line upgrades. The Chargers are, I think, all five new starters, and they're all better than last year's starters or it's at least four or five new starters they invested heavily in the offensive line that's been a problem for the chargers for years they're not hurt yet injuries have also been a problem for the chargers for years i like justin herbert's supporting cast keenan allen um i like uh sorry mike williams of course austin eckler i think you know the new offensive coordinator joe lombardi is going to build around justin herbert's strengths much more than anthony lynn's kind of vanilla run-based offense that lack creativity did so yeah i like justin herbert a lot to take a step up now there are people who think that herbert who was qb10 pace in, in cgs by the way in his 15 games but his first nine games, he was actually QB five pace. His final six games, QB 16 pace. So he hit a little bit of a rookie wall statistically. But there are a lot of people who think out there that Justin Herbert's going to regress. Just new offensive system, just was uber efficient in his rookie season. Like just some natural regression to the mean. Nothing against Herbert. I don't think anyone out there is saying, oh, Herbert's not the real deal. I happen to think that he is the real deal, but I can acknowledge the argument the new offensive system is concerning. I've heard that it's pretty 
uh, is much more complicated of a system, even though it provides more upside. But Herbert's, I mean, there's just a wide range of outcome for Herbert. I, I think that Herbert, like we could be looking at him as a, as a potential MVP candidate if the Chargers are good in a couple months from now. Like, honestly, I think he's that, he has that much upside. His ceiling is that high where Justin Herbert could be a, not only a top five fantasy quarterback, but just somebody who could be like one of the new faces of the league like that kind of play there like i like mvp bets what i don't know what his odds are but um but i I like long shot mvp bets on justin herbert but i also acknowledge that you know he could flop it could be just a a sophomore slump and i could totally see that it's again he's a boomer bust pick but Mid rounds, that's kind of what you're going for. You can always back them up with a quarterback like Trey Lance, Sushin Fields, anyway. So, yeah, I mean, I, I have no problem taking Justin Herbert. He's right in that tier uh, with all these quarterbacks I'm mentioning right now. Russ Wilson, right there. And if you look on my board, all these tier, all these quarterbacks are grouped together. So I'm not lying to you when I say I view all these quarterbacks very, very similarly. So it's really just kind of a draft thing. I'm not reaching for any of these guys in these tiers. I'm letting the draft come to me. And I, you can make great cases for all of these quarterbacks to be a top six quarterback. And you can make cases that they're going to underwhelm or just be like, I don't know, quarterback eight. And then you're disappointed that you took them in round seven or whatever have you. So I'm kind of waiting for the quarterback position to come to me. Like I'm at Russell Wilson right now as my quarterback nine. Usually, you know, you're playing in a 10 or 12 team league. So if you can wait to be the ninth team to select your quarterback, we could be talking like in a 10 team league, we could be talking like round nine here to get Russell Wilson. I mean, that's, I mean, that is, that's, that's a total print fest there. Like we like that a lot. Russ Wilson, I think he's also kind of a boomer bust, just like Justin Herbert. And the reason I say that, even though he's been so consistent over the years, is because, and he's always a top 10 quarterback, like pretty much every year in his career, I feel like Justin, uh, uh, sorry, Russell Wilson's been a top 10 quarterback, just kind of like Dak Prescott. So from that perspective, he's consistent, like year to year, annually, he's consistent. But what I mean by boomer bust is I mean just kind of a week to week thing. His consistency is never, from a week to week thing, has never been uh, optimal. He's actually been fairly inconsistent. Last year, we did see that consistency. We saw him cook. His name, his name's Mr. 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 Unlimited. Yeah, you got to be unlimited. You, know, you got to have a thought process of being unlimited. He was indeed Mr. Unlimited. Uh, for the first half of the season when the offensive coordinator, uh, Chris Carson, kind of got hurt and Pete Carroll just kind of loosened the reins a little. He was a league MVP. Like in the first seven games, 29.4 points per game. That was QB1 pace by a wide margin. Actually, 26 touchdowns, six interceptions, averaging over 300 yards passing a game. But in the final 10 games, everything t- fell apart. Instead of 29 fantasy points per game, 17 fantasy points per game. Instead of QB1 pace, QB23 pace. That's right. Russell Wilson was QB23 pace in the final 10 games. That is not good. And that's definitely a cause for concern if you think the Seahawks are going to run the ball or try to be more conservative this year, which all indications, not all indications, but a lot of indications by Pete Carroll's quotes this year is that he will tighten the reins. He will revert the offense back to conservative ways. They might, I think what's ultimately going to happen is they're going to increase the pace. They're going to be playing faster, but I do think they're going to run the ball more like they did in the second half of the season, even if it doesn't work uh, as efficiently as letting Russ cook, which it won't, uh, news flash. So anyway, 223 passing yards in the final, on average per game in the final 10 games, as opposed to 307. 
and then only a 16 to 12 touchdown to interception ratio in the final 10 games, as opposed to 26 and 6 in the touchdown interception ratio in the first seven games. So yeah, um, incredible drastic splits by Russell Wilson. And what kind of happened there was a four turnover game in week nine versus Buffalo. That was kind of the turning point there. They fired their offensive coordinator, Brian Schottenheimer. So there's turnover here. He's learning a new offense. Um, I don't know. I really don't know what to expect by the Seahawks here. I th- I'm, 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 I'm betting on a, um, a faster pace by the Seahawks here, but I think that they are going to be more conservative. And I think they're going to be more run-based. They're going to try to establish the run. Their running backs are healthy for now. But ultimately, I have Russell Wilson finishing as a top 10 quarterback. I just don't know if we're going to see that magical uh, season, like a full season of that magical start that we had last year. But I'm happy to take a chance on Russell Wilson if he falls in the draft, just like all of these quarterbacks. Okay, next quarterback here, we have Jalen Hurts. He is my quarterback 10 for now. Uh, I don't think his job security is 100%, but I'll talk about that in a second. I want to say first is that Jalen Hurts, he came and... uh, Kind of tore it up in the final four games last year. He had 23 points per game in four games, and that's including an early fourth quarter exit in week 17 against the Washington football team where they benched him because they were tanking. Uh, But that was QB7 pace. So Justin Herbert, he's putting up top seven numbers in his four games. I know it's a small sample size, of course. I don't think his job security is very strong. I think that there's a chance that the Eagles will be dumb and pull him for Joe Flacco at some point in the season. But Hurts possesses a strong rushing floor. And when I say a strong rushing floor, I mean like a thousand yards rushing. Uh, oh, that is not his floor, but that's his ceiling there. But very strong rushing floor, very high ceiling if he plays the whole season. Quarterbacks that rush for a thousand yards are going to be awesome in fantasy football, regardless of how they throw. But I like Jalen Hurts' throwing mindset in fantasy football because he's such an aggressive downfield thrower. Like his mindset throwing the football is very conducive to fantasy points. Like he is not checking it down. He is not taking conservative throws. He is throwing it deep. The Eagles, they added Devontae Smith in the draft, who's, who's kind of a deep threat there, but also a short threat. He's just a good overall route runner and receiver. And they also have uh, Quez Watkins, who is who is really tearing it up in camp. He's kind of a speed threat, 4-3-7 speed. They also get Dallas Goddard, Zach Ertz back healthy. I don't know how good Ertz is going to be. But again, this is a new offense. I think that if they gear it towards Jalen Hurts, he's going to put up uh, some good fantasy numbers. I just don't know if he's going to last the full season as the starter. The Eagles are projected to be a pretty bad team. So they could embrace the tank like we saw in Week 17 last year and go ahead and just put Joe Flacco in. So, But what I've heard is that the or from what I understand and what I'm reading between the tea leaves here is that the players on the Eagles love Jalen Hurts, but the coaching staff, the new regime there is not necessarily, they have no ties to Jalen Hurts and they're not necessarily kind of all in on Jalen Hurts. And I've read even some places that they're kind of looking for excuses to, you know, bench him or find a new quarterback. They were also rumored to be interested in trading for Deshaun Watson. So I don't think that's going to happen this year, but I don't know. But because of that, because of that fast start, I think, and maybe the uh, potential for him getting benched, I love the idea of pairing Jalen Hurts with a guy like Trey Lance or Justin Fields. Like, if you can wait and be like the 12th quarterback drafted in your 12-team league in Jalen Hurts, and it's like round 9 or 10, you can be the last team to draft your starting quarterback. You can take Jalen Hurts for the start of the season, and then you can take Trey Lance or Justin Fields for the second half of the season in case Jalen Hurts does get benched, and we know that Trey Lance and Justin Fields may not start the season as a starter, so you can play Justin Field. I mean Jalen Hurts until 
that happens. So I love the idea of pairing them in back-to-back rounds and just kind of being set, totally set with like elite potential elite quarterback production in rounds, you know, not with a ninth round pick and a 10th round pick as cost, as opposed to, you know, drafting Pat Mahomes in round three or something like that. So yeah, that's, that's a strategy that I've implemented in a league already. And it's one that I'm looking to do going into drafts. I'm looking to see how far Jalen Hurts will fall, how far Trey Lance will fall. Um, Before I get to Trey Lance and my love affair with Trey Lance, And before I get to Justin Fields as well, who's kind of my backup plan there, I want to talk about Ryan Tannehill because I have Ryan Tannehill as the last quarterback on my board, quarterback 12. Tannehill's another guy. He's just kind of a safe quarterback option. I think they have the new offensive coordinator there, but I think if anything, that's going to make the Titans more pass happy. Losing Arthur Smith is going to be a ding to efficiency, before, uh, of course, especially in the red zone. However, I think that Ryan Tannehill is, you know, 20.76 points per game in 17 games, including the playoff game. That was QB 14 pace, but he was a top five quarterback in the final eight games of 2019. He finished, I believe, since he played all the games, he finished as a top 12 quarterback last year. Now he adds Julio Jones, who had a massive impact on Matt Ryan's box scores. Like Matt Ryan's splits with and without Julio Jones were drastic. So Julio Jones, huge impact player. He already has A.J. Brown there. Um, yes, losing Arthur Smith is concerning. And Derek Henry's presence will definitely cap Tannehill's upside. But Tannehill is a sneaky rushing floor. The Titans have a weak defense. They're going to have to throw. And Tannehill's just an underrated real-life quarterback. He's way more accurate than people think. And I love his receivers. So uh, I have no problem with selecting Tannehill. Like, if you wait on quarterback and you want to do like a Tannehill-Trey Lance combo or a Tannehill uh, Justin Fields combo. I mean, I think that's perfectly, absolutely fine. And Tannehill's going so late in drafts. You can also do the same thing with like a Matt Stafford uh, if you want, but I think I'd prefer Tannehill over Stafford. I don't know. It's pretty close for me. Um, so now I'm going to move on to Trey Lance, who's a big part of my quarterback strategy, regardless of what I did at quarterback prior to selecting Trey Lance or if I even selected a quarterback over Trey Lance. Like my strategy, Trey Lance is one of my guys in one of my targets in fantasy football this year. He's one of the guys that I am aggressively, aggressively planning to reach for in every draft that I've been in. I have Trey Lance in every league that I've drafted so far, even mock drafts. Like there's never been a draft that I've done all offseason that has not consisted of Trey Lance. And I'm making sure of that by reaching multiple rounds ahead of his ADP to in order to secure Trey Lance's uh, skill set for my fantasy teams. And that's also exactly what the San Francisco 49ers did in the NFL draft. They aggressively moved up. They traded two first-round picks. They traded their future to move up to pick three. And at the time, it was thought, at least according to Adam Schefter, the most reliable NFL insider out there, that they were comfortable with Mac Jones at pick three. And they were going to do research on Trey Lance and Justin Fields, the other top quarterbacks in the draft class, and decide from there. And that's exactly what they did. And as they brought all these quarterbacks in, Lance, Mac Jones, Justin Fields, they brought them in. They did te- they did testing on them physically, mentally, workouts, and Lance just blew them away. According to Schefter, it's not like they didn't like Mac Jones. They liked Mac Jones a lot, but Lance just, they just fell in love with Lance, kind of like I am. But why? why? Why did they do that? Because Lance was obviously amazing in college. He went to North Dakota State. Yeah, small school, but we can see the versatility here. He rushed for 1,100 yards and 14 rushing touchdowns as a freshman 
in his lone season as a starter, 28 touchdowns passing in addition to that in zero interceptions. And I don't even know how that's possible. How do you not throw an interception and have 28 touchdowns, 42 total touchdowns? That's insanity. But I get it was North Dakota State. He was playing beyond his competition, his skill level, and that's fine. But Trey Lance, according to the Niners, they pegged him as the best quarterback in the draft, the smartest quarterback in the draft, they thought, and obviously the most physically gifted. Trey Lance provides a rushing floor that none of the other quarterbacks, even Justin Fields, who is a great runner, by the way, but only really runs when he, when he has to. But Lance has the skill set really similar to Josh Allen. He may not be the most accurate passer yet. In fact, I think his main issue is he kind of lacks touch on his passes. He kind of rifles every single ball in there. But, you know, that'll come over time potentially. But he's going to be deployed masterfully in Kyle Shanahan's scheme. I mean, Kyle Shanahan has a scheme tailor-made for quarterbacks like Trey Lance with a zone-blocking scheme, with the read option. The Niners have a strong offensive line. Look at the supporting cast. Debo Samuel, perfect line of scrimmage, possession receiver, yak guy, yards after catch. Brandon Ayuk, an emerging star at wide receiver, in my opinion. George Kittle, Obviously, one of the best players in the NFL, as long as he's healthy. The Niners are just loaded with skill position on offense. And that's why they could be so, that's why they wanted a quarterback so badly. Because the bottom line was Jimmy Garoppolo. Not seriously. What's your name, man? Jimmy Garoppolo. My name is Jimmy Garoppolo. Wasn't getting it done. Jimmy Garoppolo is not good, he is terrible as a starting quarterback in the NFL. He is way past his prime, and he was still overrated in his prime. Jimmy Garoppolo has never been good. He's been solid. He was decent enough to get to, I don't even want to say lead the Niners. He was decent enough not to screw it up for the 49ers in their Super Bowl run a few seasons ago, but they were led by the running game and the defense, and everyone knows that. And the Niners know that. And even if they thought Jimmy Garoppolo was good, which I would argue that they don't because who makes this type of aggressive of a move to get Trey Lance or to get a quarterback if you think your starter's good, even if they thought he was good, they can't trust him to stay healthy. He's never healthy. He gets hurt every year. So, you know, I don't mean to crap on Jimmy Garoppolo. He seems like a good guy, certainly a good looking guy, but he is not the answer at the quarterback position. And the Niners know that. And that's why they make this move. And that's one reason I think that Trey Lance could very well be the opening day starter in week one. And that is a controversial opinion. And I know it's a controversial opinion because it's a very consensus opinion that if Trey Lance were the starter, he would be going way higher in fantasy drafts. Like it is a consensus opinion among experts in the industry that if Trey Lance starts from day one, from week one, he's going to be a top 10 quarterback. He's going to be drafted in that tier with Russell Wilson, with Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, with, I'm not saying he's going to be good as those guys, but this is fantasy football we're talking about. He's going to be drafted in that tier, definitely above Jalen Hurts, definitely above Stafford, absolutely above Burrow, like at, definitely above Tannehill. Like at minimum, if Trey Lance is named the starter, his ADP will skyrocket. It will soar. He will be probably, I would venture to say, the eighth, ninth quarterback drafted 
in fantasy football drafts. But right now, his ADP is QB 24. It's creeping up because of how he's playing in the preseason. But it's QB 24. That's egregious. It's egregious because Trey Lance, like, what is the worst case scenario here? Jimmy Garoppolo is not going to last as the starter, even if he's named the starter, which I think is 50-50. Other experts would say that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be the starter, or it's like an 80-20% chance. But even if he's named the starter, he's not going to last very long. He's not good. And this Niners team wants to win now. Their Vegas win total is over 10 games. Vegas has the 49ers being one of the top teams in the entire NFC. And people don't really realize that. And the reason that they do is because the Niners are honestly really good as long as they can get good quarterback play. Lance just has such a higher ceiling than Jimmy Garoppolo in his fantasy ceiling is enormous. I get that he's a rookie. I get that it's going to be a steep learning curve going from North Dakota State to NFL competition. But he doesn't have to be amazing in real life to be an awesome fantasy player. Look at what Jalen Hurts did in the final four games last year. Jalen Hurts is probably one of the, definitely one of the weaker starting real life quarterbacks in the league, but it didn't matter. He was still putting up top seven fantasy numbers simply because of his rushing and because he was an aggressive thrower down the field. And that's exactly what Lance is. Lance is better than Jalen Hurts. And he's entering a situation that is better than Jalen Hurts because the 49ers have an amazing supporting cast that he's just waltzing into. Kyle Shanahan, one of the most masterful play designers, play callers. His scheme is so offense, uh, so quarterback friendly, it's ridiculous. Like there is no doubt about it. As long as Lance is decent, he will post very strong fantasy numbers. But the distinction here, the reason that he's still being drafted so late is because he's not a starting quarterback. But what I'm arguing is not only does he have a better chance to be the week one starter than I think the expert thinks, but what I'm really arguing is even if he's not, that doesn't mean he should be drafted all the way down at quarterback 24 in the last couple rounds of your drafts. No, no, not at all. Draft another quarterback, heck, stream the quarterback position, put Lance on your bench for a few weeks, and then when he inevitably comes a starter because Jimmy Garoppolo inevitably flops, then ride the glory to the promised land. And if you're skeptical, if, I don't know, Nick, like Kent Lance is, he's still a rookie, you know, like I, I just don't know. We've seen this before. We've seen this with Kyle Shanahan in his offense before. RG3, his rookie year, one of the greatest rookie years of quarterback position of all time, a similar rusher to Trey Lance. RG3's rookie year, Kyle Shanahan coordinated that Washington offense. There's just so much to like about Trey Lance. And and the thing I like most about him is his cost, right? He is so, so cheap. And while that cost is getting a little more prohibitive, like before when I started drafting early in August, you know, I could go spend a 12th, 13th round pick on Lance and nobody really blinked an eye. Now he, there's a lot of hype surrounding him. The hype train is going. There's, he's a popular commodity. And so is Justin Fields, the quarterback behind him, who I'll get to in a second. But you need to be ending up with Lance on your teams. And you can really do whatever you want as your QB1. You can take a quarterback like Jalen Hurts first, or you can take Tom Brady first. It doesn't really matter. I don't care about the arguments, oh, well, why are you going to spend two high picks on a quarterback position? First of all, you're not spending a high pick. Trey Lance's ADP is still very suppressed. But if you have to spend a seventh round pick on Tom Brady, 
and a 10th round pick on Trey Lance, who cares? The odds are your 10th rounder is going to suck anyway. It's just the truth, even if you follow my draft guide. Like, the odds are very, very against you that late in the draft. The players who go at that point in the draft where Lance is being drafted in one quarterback leagues are usually just the hit rate is so minuscule. Usually it's a player you end up cutting anyway. But if you can afford to stash Lance, he could easily be a league winner. And I don't have any issue with going into drafts, waiting for everyone to select a quarterback, stacking your team otherwise, and then drafting Trey Lance as your QB1 and then pairing him with a guy like Kirk Cousins, who has a really, really soft opening schedule, just in case Lance is has to sit for, I don't know, five games. And I think that's like the worst case scenario. So yes, I'm riding a lot on Trey Lance being the opening day starter. But again, even if he's not, it's okay. He still should be going way higher than he is. You still should be aggressively reaching for him. Even if he's not named the opening starter, even if tomorrow Kyle Shanahan says, hey, we're going to start Jimmy Garoppolo in week one, and he's just a total moron about it, I still would want Trey Lance on my fantasy teams. Because then it's the same situation as Justin Fields. Justin Fields, we know, is not starting week one. There's no mystery around it. They've Matt Nagy's all he said is he's starting Andy Dalton week one. I don't know why Andy Dalton is so bad. You want to? You think I'm crapping on Jimmy Garoppolo? Oh my gosh, Andy Dalton! It's like everybody knew that Andy Dalton was a horrific, pathetic, trash signing, except for the Chicago Bears. Like everybody in the world knew that. The rest of the league knew that. All the fans knew that. Bears fans knew that. The rest of the teams laughed at them. Knew that Andy Dalton is. He had his moment. He's finished. And we saw it for the Cowboys last year. What did they see in all of the starts against the, for the Cowboys for Dak Prescott last year? What did the Bears see where they were like, you know what? That guy, we should really bring him in to be our starter. That's an insane way of thinking. And not only that, it appears that they promised him the starting job. Like that, that has to be the only explanation for why the Bears have all these ridiculous quotes like, oh, well, we got to trust the plan. You know, we got to trust the plan. Dalton's our starter. That They've been so committed to Dalton being their starter. That's fine. If they want to lose, they want to lose. If they want to get fired, that's fine. I mean, that's all Justin Fields was. That's why I mocked Justin Fields to the Bears in my mock draft because I knew that the Bears were the Bears GM Ryan Pace, Matt Nagy. They're both on the hot seat. I, they knew they had to make a splash. Justin Fields is their last ditch effort to save their jobs. Yet, they're still sacrificing it because they want to start Andy Dalton. I think it was a promise that was made, but it doesn't matter. Andy Dalton may not even last a half against the Rams in week one, but even if he lasts a couple weeks, Justin Fields still also worth a pick. I mean, Trey Lance, he's one of the poster boys of the fantasy law guide, and I drafted him in every league so far. But if somebody takes Lance away from me, like I'm looking at Justin Fields immediately. Because it's the same thing. He's got incredible, an incredible rushing floor. He's a pretty accurate quarterback. The Bears have invested in him. His, the starter ahead of him is abysmal. So he's going to get playing time. And he's a potential league winner. And you're getting him way late. It doesn't cost you a lot to get Trey Lance or Justin Fields. The only difference between Lance and Fields is that Lance has a chance to start in week one. And the other difference is that Lance enters a better supporting like a better situation. Like I'd much rather Kyle Shanahan coordinating my offense 
uh, and controlling my offense, calling plays. I'd much rather the Niners offensive line. The Bears have a dreadful offensive line. It's like a sieve. I'd much rather the Niners receiving the supporting cast there. They're, every, everything about it is just a little better for Lance. But Justin Fields is a player and as a fantasy talent, could be even better than Lance. I mean, I think Lance is a better bet, but Justin Fields, heck, if I miss out on Lance, I really, really want to, I will reach for Justin Fields, no problem about it. So that's kind of the mindset there. And again, I just can't stress this enough. These are two potential league winners at quarterback, and I can't stress enough that it doesn't matter what you do with your QB1. It can range from taking... Pat Mahomes in round four, if you follow my draft guide, and he's somehow, he probably won't be available in round four. But let's say like Kyler Murray's available in round four or five. I still think it's smart to get Trey Lance or Justin Fields on your team because they could be league winners. And at worst, you have somebody who is just dominating that you can trade. You could trade Kyler Murray in that situation. So regardless of what you do at quarterback in the early rounds, and it's more likely, if you're following my, following my draft guide, it's more likely that you're going to end up with somebody a little later. Like maybe, you know, if you last until round eight, maybe you get like a whoever falls out of the Brady, the Russell Wilson, the Herbert, maybe Jalen Hurts. That's fine. Just make sure you back them up with either Lance or Fields. And you got to be aggressive. You got to, these are hot players. People want these guys. You got to be aggressive. You got to reach ahead of the hype. So that's my piece there. That's my soapbox. There are other reasons even I think that they are smart plays. But essentially, the fact that these guys' ADPs is QB 20-something in like the hundreds is ridiculous. Once all 12 quarterbacks, the trigger point is, and when I say trigger point, I mean like when should I, you may be asking, when should I target Trey Lance? Like how do I know when is a smart time to get Justin Fields to where I don't look like a total idiot? Well, I've been doing it, you know, right after the 12th quarterback is taken, right? So like... It's usually the trigger point for me is like Ryan Tannehill, Jalen Hurts, like Joe Burrow, Stafford. If any of those guys go, it's time to take Trey Lance. And if Trey Lance goes, it's time to take Justin Fields, like no question about it. So that's kind of the trigger point for me. And again, I have no problem with going. I love the combination of going Jalen Hurts with Trey Lance or Justin Fields in back-to-back rounds, like ideally like rounds nine and 10. And I also have no problem going Trey Lance or Justin Fields first, and then just waiting on whoever is going to be streaming the quarterback position, just waiting on it. Kirk Cousins is somebody who has a really strong opening stretch of games. And last year, I'll talk about Kirk Cousins, Baker Mayfield for a little, a little bit, so we don't have to talk about them in my sleeper portion. We can knock out the quarterbacks here. Kirk Cousins opens the season up with Cincinnati, Arizona, Seattle, Cleveland, Detroit, Carolina, Dallas. So like four soft defenses in their first six games, it makes them an ideal pairing with Lancer Fields in the event that they miss the first couple of games. Kirk Cousins, what I like about him is that he's not being drafted. His ADP is QB 18. He's not really being drafted how he finished last season. He was terrible in the beginning of the season, but the final 10 games, he was actually QB 11 pace with a 24 to seven touchdown to turnover ratio. So yeah, I mean, Kirk Cousins, he has Justin Jefferson. He's got Irv Smith. He's got Adam Thielen, Dalvin Cook out of the backfield. There's a lot to like about Kirk Cousins. 
but obviously the ceiling isn't very high. That's why you're picking him so late. I mean, he's going to go in like round, I don't know, 12, 13 of your one quarterback leagues. Baker Mayfield is another one. He's another player who's his ADP is QB 19, but he's also not being drafted the way he finished. These are two strong finishers here. Uh, Baker Mayfield, he just sucked in the beginning of the year. And a lot of that was just kind of fluky stuff skewing his numbers. The main reason he was terrible was because he was learning a new offensive system. But he also had some fluky things going on in here. Two or three bad weather games where the Browns just couldn't throw the football, where nobody could really throw the football. And then a week seven game against Pittsburgh where he played with like bruised ribs and he, he exited in the third quarter of like the blowout loss. So just things that really didn't happen in the second half of the season. And they only finished, the Browns only finished 28th in pass attempts last year, but but Mayfield finished really strongly in his final eight games, 19.6 points per game. That was QB 16 pace, and it was 16 to 2 touchdown to interception ratio. You know, I like this offense, and it's an ascending offense with a great running game. And Kevin Stefanski, he definitely, he definitely calls an, a decent dosage of play action and deep passing calls. The Browns were second in percentage of passes traveling 15 or more air yards last year. And if you miss out on them, no big deal, because you can always stream the position in one quarterback leagues. Tua, uh, Tungavailoa is another quarterback that I like to have a take a big step up in year two. And the logic behind that is just, look, this guy was in the same light of talent as Joe Burrow in two years ago. And Justin Herbert, he was drafted over Justin Herbert last year. And that's tough to think about. Like, think about how good Justin Herbert is. And I'm not saying teams get it right all the time. Miami totally might have gotten it wrong, and they look like idiots for passing on Justin Herbert. But this guy was evaluated by the league as being on par with Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert just a year ago. But the hip injury, the major hip injury, was one reason he didn't start the season. He wasn't there health-wise. And by that point, by the time they put him in, you know, they had designed the offense with uh, around Ryan Fitz, Fitzpatrick, Fitzmagic there. And the supporting cast, you can just throw last year out just solely because of the supporting cast. The supporting cast was one of the worst dumpster fires in the league when, by the time Tua came in, Miles Gaskin was hurt by that point. They didn't even have Miles Gaskin but he was their starting running back, but he was hurt for a lot of two of starts. Devontae Parker, their number one receiver, was hurt for a lot of two of starts, or at least two of them, and got ejected and won. Mike Jasicki, their tight end, missed some of it. Their offensive line is like bottom three in the league. It's still bad, but the Dolphins added a lot of talent. Like they devoted the whole offseason to surrounding Tua with skill position talent. Will Fuller, Jalen Waddell sixth overall, who I'll talk about in a moment as a sleeper. They still have Devontae Parker. They still have Mike Jasicki. Still have Mike Gaskin out of the backfield as good pass catcher. I mean, this is a this is a pretty good supporting cast now. It's at least a speedy supporting cast. So I like Tua as a chance to kind of change the narrative here. I mean, he's obviously really, really accurate. He was amazing at Alabama. So yeah, he's worth a shot. Zach Wilson, I mean, is there any quarterback who's drafted number two overall that's not getting, like, that's being more overlooked than Zach Wilson? One thing, one thing that's definitely being overlooked about Wilson is his rushing floor, sneaky rushing floor there. The guy can, the guy can move. I know he looks like a little frat boy. I know he looks like a male model, and, you know, that's kind of like the funny meme on Twitter and that kind of stuff. But Zach Wilson, he's an aggressive thrower. I mean, he throws downfield. He was really accurate in college. And 
I think that the Jets have done a pretty good job of surrounding him with talent, unlike the last regime who consistently ignored the offensive line with Sam Darnold and who had to deal with Adam Gase. The worst. This new regime for the Jets is surrounding Zach Wilson. They brought in Corey Davis at wide receiver, Keelan Cole, kind of a speedy guy at wide receiver. They kept Jamison Crowder when he could have been a cap casualty easily. And they drafted Elijah Moore who by all accounts looks like he's going to be a really good player. And then they drafted Elijah Vera Tucker in the first round offensive lineman to pair with a future potential all-pro, Makai Becton, at the left left tackle position. So their offensive line looks way better. So yeah, I I like Zach Wilson as a late-round QB flyer who could, I don't know, post top 16 numbers this year. Or he could just be totally overwhelmed. But it doesn't really matter because his cost is free. You can always cut him anyway. At minimum, I think he's going to be a matchup-based streamer. I think Jameis Winston is a nice matchup-based streamer, a guy you can just throw in in the last pick of your draft and play matchups with him, maybe throw him in a couple games before Trey Lance or Justin Fields gets back if they're your quarterback ones. But I like those guys like like Wilson and Tagovailoa. I, I like them better than like Kirk Cousins. I like them better than like Trevor Lawrence, for example, better than Matt Ryan, better than... I don't know. Actually, a lot of quarterbacks in that range. Big Ben. So, yeah, that kind of sums up the quarterback position. Okay, let's get to the moment that a lot of you, a large percentage of my fans, at least five out of the seven fans of the show, are waiting for. And that is my sleepers. Who are my sleepers? I mean, you can view this in the fantasy law guide. So, spoiler alert, a lot of them here. But I am going to list one sleeper a surprise for listening to an hour of this pod so far when we're just starting the sleeper section. But as a little surprise here, I'm going to mention one sleeper that I have not yet put in the fantasy law guide. So you're getting this before the rest of the public here. But anyway, I'm going to go through sleepers. This is just kind of general strategy on how to, I know sleepers are like fun to talk about, but this is also just kind of general strategy on how to attack like the later rounds of your draft, like rounds nine through 17, around 10 through 17. Like pretty much picks after 100. And the first thing I want you to do is draft Trey Lance or Justin Fields. And we've established that. But let's you got to take some wide receivers and you got to take some running backs. So let's talk about my favorite wide receiver sleepers. And I'll give you a little bio why I like them. Uh, I'm going to start with Jalen Waddell. Okay. And he is not a popular pick. He's just not. He's not a popular sleeper this year. I know he's a rookie. But people are kind of sour on Jalen Waddell. Or, or they don't really... I don't know. Nobody seems to really be hyping him up. Well, I'm going to try to hype him up a little bit because I think Jalen Waddle presents a, a pretty insane value, right? Jalen Waddle went sixth overall in the draft. Sixth overall. He was the pick behind Jamar Chase at fifth overall. And by the way, Jamar Chase is going, his ADP is like, what is it? Like 50 overall. Jalen Waddle's ADP is 129, receiver 46. And they were one pick apart in the draft. And it wasn't because, look, I follow the draft like it's a religion in April. It was not because Jamar Chase was viewed so much more highly above Jalen Waddle. It may seem like that, but trust me, in league circles, what I know of the NFL draft rumors, that was not the case. Yes, Jamar Chase was viewed as the consensus number one receiver. I'm not debating that. But the gap was way overblown. Jalen Waddle was loved by teams. Teams, I am not exaggerating. Teams loved Jalen Waddle. 
there were very few teams that did not have Jalen Waddle. from what I understand and what I've heard, teams that I know of that did not have Jalen Waddle as a top 10 player in this draft on their board. So teams were obsessed with his skill, with his game-breaking speed. They were obsessed with his interviews. They loved his personality. They thought his work ethic, his leadership was amazing. He was just a renowned player in NFL draft circles. Like one of the players whose stock rose the most in April, like as these teams were in, in March, as these teams were visiting with players was Waddle. So it was not, my whole point is, it was not a fluke that Waddle went sixth overall in the draft. Now, I think that there's a surprising lack of buzz for the sixth overall pick, especially, and I think one thing that's kind of suppressing that buzz is because people aren't in love with the Dolphins quarterback situation, number one, which I just mentioned why that that could be a mistake. I think two is being undervalued this year. And there's a bigger chance than people think that two is going to have a, a strong second season. But also, I think what's really kind of crippling his value in fantasy football and fantasy circles is that the Dolphins have other receivers. But Devontae Parker has basically is always hurt. I mean, he's been hurt this offseason. He started training camp on the reserve PUP list. And Will Fuller is their other receiver who's keeping his ADP down. Waddle's ADP down. Will Fuller is the definition of injury prone. I loved Will Fuller last year. He was like the poster, one of the poster boys in my draft guide last year, and it was going so great before, I mean, he was like a top 10 wide receiver before he got suspended. But he's suspended for week one. That suspension carries over to week one. So Waddle's going to open the season as a starter. And I just think that the Dolphins are prioritizing downfield throwing more this offseason. I don't think that I know that. And I just think that Waddle is a lot better then people think, I think Waddle's draft capital doesn't match up with his fantasy ADP. And again, Jamar Chase is going 70 spots higher in drafts than Waddle. And I also think it's crazy that Waddle is the number three receiver being drafted on the Dolphins. Like I would draft Waddle over Will Fuller, over Devontae Parker, like no questions asked. Because Devottle, I'm Devottle, I just combined their names. I don't know why I did that. But Jalen Waddle, Javottle, AKA, he has a potential to win you your league. He could be a league winner. Like he could be that good. He's just so explosive and he's a playmaker. And by the way, Tua was his college quarterback for some time. So that's another little tidbit right there that could help from a chemistry perspective. But we know what Devontae Parker is. He had that one good year, but that was pretty much it. We know what Will Fuller is. He gets hurt all the time. They're committed to Waddle. I, I think Waddle, look, I'm not saying he's going to set the world on fire, and I'm not even saying that he would, that he will outproduce Will Fuller and Devontae Parker. Honestly, this could be a mess like the experts predict it will be. But at this late in the draft, and this is a philosophy tidbit that we're going to get into here that applies for all of these sleepers, I'm not like necessarily betting and projecting on Waddle to be the leading receiver for the Dolphins. I'm saying like this late in the draft, I'm saying that it's worth a chance. Like his, his cost is so affordable and he could be just a stud rookie receiver. Like he could just kind of take the league by storm. There's a small chance of that. And I think it's worth the risk. I mean, it's a, such a minimal risk. All these guys, you want players with high ceilings in the later rounds. And that's going to be a theme with all of these sleepers. There are plenty of cases for almost any player to outperform their ADP in fantasy football that are going late in drafts. But I don't want players that are, you know, 
I think that are likely going to beat out their projected points. Like that's no good. That's easy. That is very easy to find. I'm not looking for players who are just going to beat their projection. Their projection is meaningless. I'm looking for players who are cheap, but could be really big difference makers in the second half of your fantasy season that could help you win your league. And Jalen Waddle is one of these guys where his talent doesn't really match up with his ADP. So I'm wor- I think it's worth it to take a shot. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Oh, darn, you spent uh, pick 120 on Waddle. Like, who cares? Move on. Half of your draft picks are going to be terrible anyway, or they're going to get hurt. That's just the reality of fantasy football. I can try to tout my fantasy law guide, my draft board, all I want and say, oh, this gives you an edge over the experts and all this stuff. But the concept that, you know, you won't be cutting half of the players that you draft, for me to try to say that that won't be happening is BS. You will. Even if you follow my guide, you will be cutting half the players that you draft from my draft guide. You just will. That's how it works. Even really, really strong drafts have a very like low hit rate, like 50% hit rate. So just keep that in mind. From a philosophy standpoint, we don't want guys who are just going to be like solid, just going to outperform their projection and not be like these guys are going late for a reason, right? We don't want guys that are everyone thinks are going to be terrible, but they're they end up being decent. No, that's not good enough. We want guys that can help you win your league this late in the draft. We're swinging for the fences, right? Baseball analogy, even though I hate baseball. Sorry, I might have lost like one of my three fans there, but. I hate baseball, but baseball analogy, we want to be swinging for home runs. Like, go ahead and swing for home runs. Don't be afraid to strike out this late in the draft. This isn't the early round. You're not building the foundation. So, yeah, I'll get off my little soapbox there. Next player, Marcus Callaway. Yeah, it's going to take all night if we go at this pace. I've already talked about Marcus Callaway, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on him. He's kind of the opposite of maybe somebody like Waddle who might, like, finish strongly but start out maybe a little slow. I think Marcus Callaway could start out really strongly because he has the opportunity. I mean, the Saints wide receiver competition is just total dust. Traquan Smith, Lil Jordan Humphrey, Deontay Harris, who might be suspended for the first two weeks of the season because of DUI. Marcus Callaway, he's got good speed. He's undrafted, decent size. I mean, he's reportedly been the best receiver in Saints camp. We saw that in week two of the preseason. His ADP is going to obviously increasing. It's rising because of his great preseason performance. But anywhere after pick 100, Heck, anywhere really after pick like 80, my board stops at 75. But anywhere, I, yeah, so I might as well say anywhere after 75, if the other players on my board are gone, it's time to take Marcus Callaway. So I'm, I'm, I'm buying a lot of the hype. I'm buying what we saw. I think that there's a chance Michael Thomas comes back and just kind of makes him inconsistent. But I think Callaway is definitely worth a gamble. So he's one of the top receivers on my board that it didn't make my top 75 overall players, like my overall draft board. And... He can be, if you're a Saints fan, he can be your top receiver sleeper. Like, I'm going to list a bunch of receiver sleepers, but that doesn't mean you have to draft him in order if I have him. If you want to take Callaway over Waddle, go ahead. I wouldn't mind doing that in some drafts drafts either. Depends on the construction of my team. But all these guys, similar. That's why I don't have rankings next to them because they all have ADPs after 100. And just depending on your league, you might be able to take who you like less first, knowing that you can get who you like more Second, so if you think you're in a Saints fan-based league and you think you have to take Callaway in round nine because you know you can get Jalen Waddle in round 10, those are your top two sleepers, then go for it. 
So Michael Thomas is another guy that I consider a sleeper, even though he kind of doesn't really fit the definition because he's already uh, broken out before. But, you know, he's just a guy who's at ADP after around 100. He's getting he's getting soured on a lot because of his personality, because people think that the Saints might trade him. Uh, there's all kind of talk like that. Look, Michael Thomas, he obviously had an injury plague season last year. He delayed his surgery. I think that there's two scenarios where you should draft Michael Thomas. And there's actually conditions. You need both of these conditions to happen in order for Michael Thomas to be a good pick. First, you must have an IR spot. If you don't have an IR spot, you can kiss Michael Thomas goodbye. I do not want you wasting a stash on Michael Thomas like all year. It could be all year. We don't really know. But don't be stashing a zero on Michael Thomas until like week seven at the earliest when you don't have an IR spot. If you have an IR spot, that's one threshold. That's one condition there. Second, I think that Michael Thomas really only makes sense for for guys and girls who are competitive in their leagues, aka like they make the playoffs a large percentage of the time, or they have a large percentage of teams that make the postseason. For example, like six of 12 playoff teams get in. Because under those circumstances, Michael Thomas makes a lot of sense, right? Because then you can stash him in IR. He's not going to hurt your team. And you can draft him in like round nine or 10 or whatever. He's not going to hurt your team. The chances of you hitting on a round nine or 10 pick anyway are very low. So you might as well take a proven known commodity and just hope that he's healthy. And then not only can you stash him, but you know if you routinely make the playoffs, you're going to be saving him for the playoffs anyway. So you, that's when you're going to want him. So fancy playoffs. So yeah, I like Michael Thomas under those two circumstances. Mike Williams is another sleeper that I like. His ADP is receiver 48. He's going like after pick 130 overall. So a little later than the receivers I've already mentioned. Um, Probably actually a couple rounds later. So you can kind of wait on Mike Williams. I like Mike Williams because Joe Lombardi's offense, he's the quarterback coach for the Saints. He's already mentioned that he's putting Mike Williams in Michael Thomas's spot. Now that doesn't mean at the X receiver role, that doesn't mean that, oh, you know, Keenan Allen's going to not be the number one receiver. And it doesn't mean that he's going to be getting as many targets as Michael Thomas. It just means that it just means that Michael Thomas may get, I'm sorry, Mike Williams may get some more valuable targets, right? Like he's going to increase in the targets here. And they also don't have Hunter Henry there. So he's not a legitimate, they don't really have a legitimate third option unless Josh Palmer becomes that. But behind Keenan Allen and Williams, they don't really have a legit third option. I know Eckler is going to be used a lot, but they I don't consider Jared Cook a threat in the, as a tight end. So I don't know. It's a contract year for Mike Williams. He's always had like, he's always flashed ability, but he's never really put it together. So what better time to do it than in a contract year and in a new offense that might better suit his skill set? I think he's worth a flyer. Um, also good tied to a good quarterback, Justin Herbert, good, good arm, accurate downfield thrower. So yeah, I like Mike Williams as a, as a receiver five receiver six, whenever you can get him. Henry Ruggs. I think Henry Ruggs is, I don't know. I'm not in love with the Henry Ruggs pick to be totally honest with you. I think that I probably should just move him, move him later to like the dart throws, but he's definitely a boomer bust pick. I think that the Raiders have a little bit of a more crowded receiver room than people think with John Brown and Brian Edwards, who Brian Edwards could easily fill this sleeper spot right there, at least a dart throw spot, because Brian Edwards could be easily more talented than Henry Ruggs. But I think there's something to the narrative that, you know, Nelson Aguilar is gone. Derek Carr needs a receiver. He Derek Carr has been throwing deeper than he has in years past, even though he doesn't prefer it. But They're not going to be very competitive in a strong AFC West division. They lack defense, so the volume should be there from a pass perspective. And I think I'm buying the narrative that John Gruden 
is trying to make this right. Like, like he got a lot of heat for that Henry Ruggs being the first receiver off the board in the draft last year. And he got a lot of heat for that, that he had such a, a, a horrific, miserable, irrelevant rookie season. But John Gruden's playbook, notoriously difficult for rookies to grasp. I think that Ruggs, he's just a total freak show as an athlete. So hopefully I'm just kind of betting on athleticism, betting on speed, and betting on John Gruden trying to get him the ball, force feed him the ball, even if it's not necessarily a smart play. So yeah, I think he's worth a shot, but he's not somebody I'm really reaching for. And I don't think you have to, because Henry Ruggs has been falling in a lot of drafts I've been in. One guy I am reaching for, Darnell Mooney. I love Darnell Mooney this year. I probably like him more than Henry Ruggs, probably like him more than Mike Williams. But the thing is, you can get him way later. In fact, I'd be venturing to say I like these next two or three guys uh, Jacoby Myers, LaVisca Chenault, and Darnell Mooney over the last three guys I've mentioned, but you can get them later. So I put them later in my, on my board. Um, Darnell Mooney, Tulane product. So I got to watch him uh, a play here. Uh, I went to Tulane Law School. Tulane product, he finished strongly in his final six games. He was averaging 12 points per game with obviously a bad quarterback situation. But it doesn't sound like much, but Mooney is just a guy who's a very underrated talent. And a lot of analytical guys and film guys really trust that Mooney's going to take the next big step. Guys that I trust, like Matt Harmon, reception, perception, that kind of stuff. There was, you know, the, the, the drumbeat from the coaching staff has been blazing hot. Like all, can a drumbeat be blazing hot? I don't know why I said that. The reports have been blazing hot. Like this guy has been on fire during the offseason. The coaching staff has hyped him up. They've comped him to Tyreek Hill and Deshaun Jackson. He's a speed, he's a deep threat. I just think he's really, really good, and I think that he could be like a more affordable version of like Marquise Brown, maybe what Marquise Brown was supposed to be last season. Probably not that good what he was supposed to be, what I thought he was going to be, but maybe the way Marquise Brown finished the season last year, I don't know. He needs good quarterback play, and he might get that out of Justin Fields because Justin Fields throws a great deep ball, and he's very accurate on the deep ball. So I think Mooney's skill set meshes with Justin Fields. I just think he's a perfect definition of a late-round flyer who could be a similar Deshaun Jackson type for this team, and he's basically free. He's going undrafted in a lot of leagues. I just like his talent. He's a great sleeper. I'm willing to... Um, I'm willing to draft him in pretty much every league I'm in in like round 14 or 13 because it's just so cheap. Um, okay, Jacoby Myers is another player that I've been targeting late in drafts. His ADP is 159 at wide receiver 59. So you can wait again near this Darnell Mooney area. And despite the signings of Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, you know, Patriots beat writers have predicted Myers will be the leading receiver for New England. Cam Newton kind of developed a bond with Myers. He, Myers came on the scene last year in the Julian Edelman role as the slot ride receiver, and he averaged 12.8 points per game in 11 games. That was wide receiver 43 pace, but that was only with zero receiving touchdowns. He only threw one passing touchdown in that span. He had 81 catches, 59, sorry, 59 catches on 81 targets, 729 yards, and zero touchdowns in 11 games as the starter. So pretty good numbers except for touchdowns, but they will come obviously due for positive touchdown regression. I think that Myers is going to lead this team in receiving yards. I think that the role is there in this Josh McDaniel offense. I think the chemistry is there with Cam Newton. But if Cam Newton isn't starting, then I think Mac Jones might be a plus for Jacoby Myers as well. So I like that you can get the number one receiver for the Patriots for really any team this late in the draft, uh, except for the Lions, of course. But LaVisca Chenault, he's another player I like in this range. Actually, he goes a little, he goes around or two, probably three rounds actually before 
Uh, some of the players I've just mentioned, and some, I think ESPN has them ranked really high, but all the other formats have them ranked really low. I think his ADP in like Yahoo is like 150 compared to like ESPN, it's 100. So that's a big deal. You might not end up with him in the ESPN leagues, but you probably will end up with them if you follow my board and you play in Yahoo. Uh, LaVisca Chenault, someone I added to the board late. I've always liked his talent a lot. And oh, wait. What am I doing? I already talked about this podcast is running so long. I forgot that I already talked about why I like LaVisca Chenault in the intro. You can scroll back there if you want to do that. Let's talk about running back sleepers. The first one I've actually already talked about as well, Jamal Williams. I've mentioned why I like him as a running back sleeper. Zach Moss, you know, this is just a bet on being hopefully the best running back in a good offense. I know the Bills abandoned the run last year and his ADP is 90. I'm seeing him fall to 100 in some leagues. I'm okay with, I'm not reaching for Zach Moss, but I'm okay with taking him if he slides. He's going to probably be the starting running back for the Bills. And even if he's not, I think he's eventually going to uh, be the lead running back over Singletary. It's not like Singletary is going to go away. They're going to use a committee here, but Moss is the team's preferred goal line back, even though Josh Allen's going to steal some goal line. It doesn't really sound like I'm very high on Zach Moss as I talk it out, but this is a bet that Zach Moss's rookie season last year was just a little slow based on the um, the the COVID-shortened offseason, obviously, and he was a third-round pick by the Bills, so they invested in him a little bit even after they had Devin Singletary. They obviously didn't think Singletary was enough, and this is also just a bet on, you know, maybe Moss will be healthier this year. Maybe that turf toe injury that he sustained in week two and missed some time for will be less of a factor. You can make the argument that it maybe was a nagging injury and it held him down. And it's one of the reasons that the Bills didn't utilize him a lot last year. So I like Zach Moss's talent. I think the Bills invested in him enough. I like that he has short yardage um, role, even if, well, in the event that Josh Allen doesn't run it in. And I think the Bills will try to establish the run a little more. They, they bring back all 11 starters or maybe 10 of 11 starters on offense. So yeah, Zach Moss, the continuity there. I, I think he's just a solid pick. Gio Bernard, one of my favorite running back sleepers this year in PPR formats. I think Gio Bernard is being vastly, vastly underrated by the experts, by the fantasy industry, by the fantasy community as a whole, even by fans. Gio Bernard, yes, he's not very good in real life. Yes, he annoyed fantasy managers for years because he was the guy that was coming in on third downs and preventing Joe Mixon from reaching his potential other than injuries, of course, and the Bengals' offensive line. But Gio Bernard, he's been frustrating for seasons. However, Gio Bernard is really good at catching footballs. And one thing that the Patriots, I mean, sorry, the Patriots, the one thing that Tom Brady really lacked last year was a reliable running back who could catch the football. And Gio Bernard does just that. And Tom Brady, look, a lot of people don't think that Gio Bernard's going to play a big role in this offense. And I disagree. I think Gio Bernard's going to play a big role in the same way that James White played a big role for Tom Brady. James White, like he was a league winner one year. Other years, he was just kind of like a solid like RB3 or flex option. I think Gio Bernard could definitely do that. And we've seen running backs whose sole purpose that is to catch passes, like last year, J.D. McKissick, Naeem Hines. We've seen that as long as they just catch a bunch of passes and stay healthy, you can be a top 16 running back like both Hines and McKissick were last year. Amazingly, like it's ridiculous that that's happened. That's one of the reasons I hate PPR scoring, but I won't get into that rant right now. But Gio Bernard, if you're in a full point PPR league, I can't, dis- I think the idea of, or the concept of Brady being P 
pissed off at his running backs in the in the pass game is not being talked about enough. Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones were so horrific in the pass game last year. They were dropping passes left and right. They were missing blocks. They were awful. Tom Brady basically begged the Bucs this year to bring in a pass-catching running back. They thought about bringing James White, and then they settled with Gio Bernard. And if you don't think Tom Brady's going to run the hurry up a lot and Gio Bernard's going to be in the two-minute offense, I mean, you have another thing coming. Like, that's what Tom Brady does. He loves to play in the hurry up. He loves to play in the two-minute offense. He loves being able to dump it off to the running back. He hated dumping it off to Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette. I think that this Bucks backfield, I'm not going anywhere near Ronald Jones and Fournette. And I'll talk about why that is in my next podcast when I talk about, you know, bust and players I'm avoiding at ADP. But I think it's a strong chance, not, not a weak chance. Like I would, I don't know, this sounds really bold and it is bold compared to expert consensus. But I'll go out and I'll go out on a limb and say, I think there's a strong chance, like over 50% chance that Gio Bernard leads Tampa Bay's running backs in fantasy points in PPR leagues this year. Yet, Ronald Jones, Leonard Fournette going several rounds ahead of Gio Bernard. Several rounds ahead. I think Gio Bernard is going to be a late-round gym. He's definitely not going to, you know, light the world on fire and be this, you know, crazy upside back. But he's a guy who could be like J.D. McKissick or Naeem Hines last year, scoring 12, 10, 12 points a game. A guy in a nice bi-week filler, a nice flex filler in case... You know, some of your players get hurt. Just overall a valuable player on your fantasy team, even if you aren't swinging for the fences for Gio Bernard. But he should definitely be going way higher than guys like Naeem Hines, J.D. McKissick, because Tom Brady's his quarterback. And I don't think the Bucs are going to, like, run out the clock, you know, when they're leading on teams. I think they're going to throw a bunch of short passes to Gio Bernard. Also, Bruce Arians, for what it's worth, their head coach, just last week talked about how awesome Gio Bernard has been. So I agree. I think that he's a great pick in the late rounds in PPR formats. He's one of my favorite picks out, like just to end your, like your last running back on your roster. You know what I'm saying? Like after round 12, one of my favorite picks just to be that final running back you take in PPR formats that can help you get by in tough situations. So let's move on to the late round tight end. So anyway, the strategy here, I mentioned a couple sleeper receivers. Like I mentioned Jalen Waddle. Marcus Calloway, Michael Thomas, Mike Williams, Ruggs, Mooney, Myers, Chenault. So like I'm mentioning all these sleepers, but you can't pick all of them. So like, what are we doing here? So I put in my guide, you know, I put around this late round sleepers. I said, draft one or two. So like for me, for example, if like assuming that Calloway's not there, I'll try to get Callaway, and then assuming he's not there, like after pick 100, I'll be looking to see if Jalen Waddle's there. I like Jalen Waddle a lot. If I'm in a certain league with an IR spot, I'll look to see if Michael Thomas is there. I'll take him. Um, you know, I'll look to see, like I'll try to snag one of Darnell Mooney or Jacoby Myers late or LaVisca Chenault late. Like I'm not taking all these guys, but I am taking one or two of them. You know, depending on how the late rounds are falling, depending on who I think I can get, who fits well with my team. But that's kind of the strategy here. I'm giving you, you know, five or six players. And then depending on where they go in the drafts and how the draft unfolds, how it falls, you take one or two of them. So for the running back sleepers, I gave you Zach Moss, Jamal Williams, Gio Bernard. I would love to end up with two of these guys. You're probably going to end up with one. But if I can end up with like Jamal Williams, like right after pick 100, like, I don't know, around pick 100, 
and then get Gio Bernard around pick 150, that's, that's optimal. That is awesome. Those are great running backs like five and six to end your roster with. So let's go to the late round tight ends. Let, I've advocated going early tight end this year. I, my, the crux, I have Travis Kelsey near ADP in round one. So you, I doubt you end up with Kelsey if you're following my board because there's other players who go after Kelsey where you are take, probably taking them if you're following my draft board. But you might end up with Waller. You might end up with Kittle. You certainly have a good chance with end up with Kyle Pitts if you miss out on, on Waller and Kittle. And then even if you miss out on Pitts, I have you. I am above market on Mark Andrews and TJ Hawkinson. So there's a strong chance that you get one of the top six tight ends. But let's say you don't. It's not the end of the world. Let's just wait. Be patient at the position. I'm not saying full-on punt, but I am saying wait a couple rounds. Do not scroll to the next tight end and say, oh, no offense. You know, let me take him a round after Mark Andrews. Don't do that. Don't. Like, that's why I have him after pick 100. Mark Andrews is going to go around pick 50, 60 in your league. Noah Fant, I'm saying only draft if he gets after pick 100. All these players only draft if they're after, after, you know, pick 90, pick 100, okay? So Noah Fant is my tight end seven. I think that Noah Fant is way better in reality than people realize. Like, as a a talent, I'm saying, he's entering his third year, which is a very popular uh, year for breakouts. TJ Hawkinson, the same with him. And he, last year, he was a perfect example of why I use contextualized game log scoring instead of regular PPR scoring. Why I do that? Uh, why I do that analysis that 